God is using what happened thousands of years ago to help us today. And we're going to come to an incident today um, as we look in the Gospel of Mark that it's about Peter. And uh, I identify with Peter. Peter and, uh, Peter and Paul are the two guys I look to and say, if God can use them, he can use me. Peter was just kind of this guy who was always in the middle of it. You know, and I identify with him. He's always like, everybody else sitting on the sidelines. And I think Peter, I understand how Peter thinks. Peter thinks like I think. And he's like, somebody's got to do something about it. You know, that's kind of Peter. And uh, somebody's got to say something. That's Peter, you know. And uh, I don't know if that's a character trait or a spiritual gift or a curse. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it's a spiritual gift, honestly, and a, tra- and a character trait. But um, we're going to look at an incident today in Peter's life that I think he wishes was not recorded in Scripture. Um, I really do. I think it's a, we're going to tell him something that I think Peter would say, I wish, you know, of all the things that the Spirit of the Lord chose to inspire people to write about, couldn't they just left that out? You know, um, and, and I don't know if you're, I've got a lot of those things in my life, and I'm like, couldn't we just forget about that? But that's the one that people always remember and bring back to you. They rarely tell you the things where, oh, you did a great job on this, Peter, but they remind you of that time that you didn't do so hot. And so what Scripture do? It records this time that Peter has his biggest failure in his entire life. I really think it is. And, and that, that's saying something for Peter. Because Peter had some pretty big failures in his life. You know, at least sometimes people call them failures. Um, I really don't know if they're failures because they're usually in his just full-bore attempt to serve Jesus with all his heart. And sometimes when you're in the middle of it doing something, you have the opportunity to do it wrong. People sit on the sidelines don't have an opportunity to do it wrong because they don't do anything. So we can look at a Peter and say he failed big. Think of the time that Peter is in a boat with Jesus, and, or in a boat, and Jesus walks up, and they think he's a ghost. All, they're all scared, but Peter's the only guy who says, hey, if that's you, Jesus, call me to come to you. And he gets out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. And it says then he got scared because of the wind and the waves, and he begins to sink. So we all say, oh, Peter failed. You know, he began to sink. I always say, well, at least he walked in the water. But, but, you know, people look at him and say, oh, you failed, Peter. That was one of his failures. This is a pretty big failure. It was recorded in Scripture. Uh, another failure, which would have been maybe the number two worst failure of his life, I think, is when Jesus one day was talking about how he was going to go and be, and be arrested and be killed. And Peter's listening and he goes, no way! Because he's got in his mind an idea of what's going to happen with Jesus. How Jesus is going to, um, how he's going to rise to political power. And he's like, no way, Jesus, that's never going to happen to you. Remember what Jesus' response to him was? Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking of God's ways, but of man's ways. So I can't think of a much worse failure than being told by Jesus, you're Satan. In other words, being insp- your, your thoughts are inspired by the devil and not by God. And so that was a pretty big failure. But I really do think that what we're going to look at today is the biggest failure in his life. And it, we're going to look at the story of the night that he denied, that Peter denied Jesus three different times in one evening. And I'm sure if you could say to Peter, are there any days in your lives or events in your life that you'd like a do-over? Anybody a golfer in here? You know what a mulligan is? Okay, a mulligan is when you, when you, you hit the ball and it, you can see by my swing I'm not a golfer. <laughs> bent arms. That's a baseball swing. Um, that I need mulligans all the time because if I hit the ball, it doesn't go where you want it to go. So they say, mulligan, and that means you get to put another ball down and hit it again. It's a do-over. You know, they can't do that on the, in the, the real, the real golfers can't do that, but us hacks, we have mulligans. And, um, and I'm sure Peter wishes he could have a mulligan 
or a do-over, and he could say, you know what, I, 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 don't wanna ever, I don't even want anybody to know about this night. But it's recorded for us in Scripture. And I actually think the story we're going to look at about Peter's life today is a wonderful story, not because Peter failed, but because he learned something that I want you to maybe just write this down, this little phrase, that failure was not fatal. That if we can learn this one thing, it would advance our spiritual lives so much. To understand that failure is not, in his case was not, failure is not fatal. That failure in one's spiritual journey need not end or destroy the person's spiritual journey. That's um, something that I hope we can get from the story today. That failure does not need to be fatal. And that rather, I think, for the story, we can learn that as we look at our own spiritual journeys, our own spiritual lives, that our life, it's not like this. This is what we think our spiritual life is supposed to be. We start to get saved and we make this, this gradual uphill ascent into holiness and greatness. That's not what it really looks like. Our spiritual journey should have a gradual upward ascent. Because we should be getting more and more and more mature, better and better. But you know what it really is like? It's like this on the way up. It goes up if we're walking with Jesus, but it's ups and downs along the way. And those downs are generally failures. And what I hope we can understand is that sometimes we have those failures, but the failures actually are God's going to use them to propel us higher than we've ever been before. And that's what I hope we can learn from this story, that failure is not fatal. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Peter's failure today, and we're going to look at kind of three different sections of Scripture. We're going to first of all look at his, Jesus predicted his failure. Then we're going to look at Peter failing, he actually failing, but then we're going to look at Jesus' response to his failure. So we're going to read those three things right up front, and then we're going to kind of put them all together and talk about them, because it's one big picture. So Mark chapter 14 is the first part. Mark 14 you ought to have a you all have a bookmarker in the book of Mark yet? Or is your Bible automatically open to it? We're going to go to something else later and you're not going to be able to because every time you open your Bible, it's going to fall open to Mark. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 27, it says this. This is his prediction of his failure. It says, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. Now flip over in chapter 14 to verse 66. This is later that night. He's just said, I'll never deny you. Jesus says you will. Verse 66. As Peter was below in the courtyard, they've come, the mob has come, they've led by Judas, they've taken Jesus, they've arrested him, they've hauled him off to the chief priests, and they're, they're making false charges against him. And now we come to verse 66. As Peter was below in the courtyard... One of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know, know nor understand what you are talking about. And he went out onto the porch. And the servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, This is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. 
But he began to curse and to swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. And immediately a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. Now turn over in your Bible to John chapter 21. We're actually going to look at a verse we looked at a couple weeks ago, but we're going to see it really is was done very intentionally in relationship to Peter's failures. John chapter 21, starting in verse 14, it says, This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Stop right there. Three things, his, the prediction of his denial, his denial, and Jesus' response to his denial. Now think about it, what an ordeal Peter went through. You know, imagine having Jesus look you in the eye and tell you that you would deny him, and you know you will never deny him, and you argue with him the way Peter did, and you insist knowing that in your heart you would never deny Jesus, no matter whatever happened. But then, probably due to fear, you know, you find yourself faced with the reality that you just did exactly what Jesus predicted. You denied Him, you denied even knowing Him, you know, and you denied the fact that, you know, you were never one of his followers. You said you would never do it. Then you did exactly what Jesus said you would. And then, just after his death and resurrection, you come face to face with Jesus again, thinking all is lost. And Jesus singles you out, the one that he said would deny him. He singles you out, and he assures you that, you're, that things are okay between you and him. He says, listen, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. You love me? Yeah, he's reassuring him that everything's alright. In fact, he's confirming that he loved him three times, the same amount of times that he denied him. He said, for every time he denied me, let's, let's reaffirm the fact that we're alright, that you still love me. See, that's an ordeal that I would never want to go through. That's Peter's biggest failure. The ordeal I'd never want to go through, and one I wouldn't want any of you to experience what he experienced, but this is what I know about life. Although our circumstances are a lot different, I don't think any of us will probably be in a situation where we have to deny or accept the fact that we actually um, know who Jesus is. Yet this storyline is often repeated in our journey with Jesus. It's a pattern of failure and restoration. That happens all the time. I don't care how long you've served the Lord. If you've served the Lord for one day, you served the Lord for, for um, 30 or 40 years, this pattern of failure and restoration is often repeated in every one of our lives. Um, and there's some really important things we can learn from this, from this lesson of failure and restoration that I think can help us the next time we feel like we failed. And there will be times you feel like you failed. And the, 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 so this brings us to the first thing that I think we need to learn from this lesson. 
And it's this. We all fail. Something to say that out loud. Say, we all fail. We all fail. We don't like to say that, do we? We don't like to admit that we fail. I think maybe us men, it's harder to admit. We don't like to tell our kids we fail. We don't like to tell our spouses we fail. We don't want to tell our boss we fail. If we're the boss, we don't want to tell our employees that we fail. We don't like to do that. But here's the reality from this story. Every person fails. No matter how committed and how determined you may be, there will be a time in your life, and there will actually be many times, where you will not achieve or do what you know you are supposed to do in your heart. In fact, I think the reason that Peter's failure is highlighted here in Scripture is to make this exact point. It's to make the point that if Peter could fail, then we all can fail. That we need to make that point. That if, if Peter could fail, because I think that, um, that Peter is the last guy who would ever fail. You know, think about it. All the disciples had fled. All the disciples had hid that night. None of them stood with Jesus, they, even though they all said they would, right? All of them said that night before his, before his um, arrest, they all said they wouldn't, that they would not deny Jesus. In verse 31 of chapter 14, it says this, Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they were all saying the same thing also. They were all saying, we'll never deny you. You know, the other ten, minus Judas, all ran and hid just like Peter did. And at least Peter, this bold one, had boldly stayed close to Jesus during his betrayal. He stayed close to Jesus during his arrest. And he went to the courtyard of the building where Jesus was being tried and being accused. None of the other ones did that. But under the right combination of stress, the right combination of fear, the right combination of uncertainty, maybe the right combination of burnout, I don't know what you want to call it, even Peter failed. The one who, who, the least likely to fail, even he failed. Um, and he didn't just fail a little bit. In the, to today's words, they'd say it was, you know, it was epic failure. He failed big time. He failed in the most important thing. And that if Peter could fail that way and deny even knowing Jesus, all of us can. Now I want you to understand something. I'm in no way today trying to encourage failure. I'm not trying to say, because I think sometimes we can do that. Well, we're all going to fail, so don't even try. That's not what I'm trying to do. If even Peter can fail, the point I want to make is we can all fail. And so when we fail, we just got to deal with it. So I'm in no way trying to encourage failure or even trying to justify it. Rather, I'm simply stating that on our journey with Jesus, there will be times that we will fail. You know, sometimes someone starts off, you know, strong with Jesus. And when you, a lot of times when a person gets, comes to Christ, especially if they come to Christ from a more, a more rough background, and they usually come to Christ maybe a little later on in life, they come and man, it's life transformation, and they're telling everybody about Jesus. They're just, they're just going all out, you know. It's the way I was when I got saved. You know, I went from, from the bars I drank in, now I was out in front of the bars with my Bible. People would run and hide. You know, you get a little extreme sometimes. And a little, you know, I wasn't mature. And so you get that way sometimes. And sometimes you start off strong with Christ. And you're determined in your heart, like Peter was, to never go back to the old lifestyle. But somehow, due to the right combination of stress and temptation and maybe frustration, what happens? You slip back and you fail. It happens all the time. I'm not trying to encourage it. I'm just saying it happens. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you say, well, that doesn't happen to me. But I'll tell you, this happens. It's kind of just the opposite. 
Sometimes we've been walking with Jesus for years and years. But over the time, that spiritual fire begins to kind of fade. And where, where before, serving Jesus was your primary reason for being. It was all you did. Now it's one of many reasons for being. And, and you know, that passion's not there. That fire's not there anymore. And, you know, commitments in life that were in your walk with Christ at one time were unshakable. I mean, you're going you're gonna to serve God with all your heart. You're going to be, you know, in church. You're going to pray. You're going to be there. Suddenly those things aren't quite as important anymore. And those one-time unshakable commitments become compromised. And suddenly the thing, not so suddenly, actually, gradually, the things that would not have been temptations before become temptations. So you know what? You do something you never did before. You're on the business trip or you're on the vacation and no one's around and you do turn the porn channel on the TV in the hotel room thinking no one would know. Or you say, but the IRS won't really know if I, if I don't report all this income. And you cheat on your taxes. Or a hundred or a thousand other ways that you can compromise and it's something you never would have done when you came to Christ originally. But now through the time of, of walking with Christ, things are kind of, kind of fading a little bit in your spiritual zeal, and you fail spiritually. Friends, the reality is that our spiritual life is sometimes, as I said, more like a roller coaster than it is a gradual upward ascent. See, we all fail. Even Peter failed. You know, so don't feel, don't feel strange when you fail. Because if Peter could fail in an epic way, all of us can fail in some ways. And that brings us to the second lesson that we learn here from the story of Peter's failure. First, that anybody can fail, Peter can fail. And the second thing is this, that failure causes deep pain, but healing is found in repentance. That, he, that, that failure causes deep pain, but healing is found in repentance. You know, that night in Peter's life had to be the, one of the most painful, maybe the most painful and horrible nights, nights of his entire existence. Because Jesus, his Messiah, was being arrested and accused of capital crimes. That, and remember, we can see the end of the story. He didn't know what would happen. He's thinking, just maybe they're going to arrest him. Just maybe they're going to um, accuse him of something really bad. And just maybe they're going to kill him. All that stuff happened. He's right in the middle of that. And Peter says, you know what, I'll never fail you in the middle of it. Matter of fact... Peter tried to stop the whole event. Peter tried to rescue him. In Matthew's Gospel, it records that when, when Judas and the mob came to arrest Jesus, remember what Peter did? He grabbed his sword, didn't he? And he said, you're not going to take him. And he swung his sword and he cut off the ear of one of the temple servants, or one of the high priest servants. And cut off, now understand it, he wasn't aiming for the guy's ear. Peter was fighting for in a rebellion. He tried to kill the guy to defend Jesus. That's how committed he was to the cross. And now, that committed man did what he vowed he would never do. He denies Jesus. And the scriptures say when he realized what he had done, he went out and it didn't say he just felt sorry. It says he wept bitterly. His heart was broken. He was filled with the deepest pain he would ever feel in his life. And friends, I want to tell you something. Failure hurts. You know, I'd say this. If your heart is right with God, failure hurts. I'm talking about spiritual failure. If your heart is not right with God, you don't even probably notice it. But if you have a passion to serve Jesus, and even if it's come, become a little cold, God still wants to reignite that. But when you fail spiritually, 
it hurts if your heart is right with God. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because there was a time when you failed in a big way. And it hurt, or maybe it hurts right now deeply, when you come to terms with what you did. Now I in no way today want to try to diminish the level of that pain. You say, well that's not very nice of you. I don't want to diminish the level of that pain and failure. Because failure does cause deep pain, but it's pain for a reason. You see, I want you to understand that there's a silver lining when it comes in that cloud of pain because of failure. And it's this. The pain of failure should drive you to repentance, which brings healing. The pain of failure should drive you to repentance, which in turn then brings healing. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul had to say about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, when he was writing his second letter to the Corinthian church, it was a church filled with problems, and he writes them full of sin, and he writes them one letter when he points out their sin and he insists that they change and he just, he just comes down on them super hard insisting that they stop. And now in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 he explains why he did that, why he caused them pain and that causing them pain was a good thing. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's look at verse 8. Starting there. It says, for though, I remember, he wrote him a letter that caused them pain. He, he confronted their sin. He said, throw the sinners out of the church. Don't fellowship with them. He says, they're, they're immoral. He said, listen, you gotta, he says this exact word, you've got to turn them over to Satan. So their body can be destroyed, but their soul can be saved. He was harsh with them. And this is a response to this then, verse 8. He says, for though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. For I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Did you catch what he says there? He says, he wasn't glad that they hurt. He wasn't glad that they felt sorrowful. But he was glad that the pain of sorrow led them to repentance. Because they hurt, they changed. That's what he's trying to get at here. That's what Peter experienced. Because we hurt, we change. There's a saying, until the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of change, you won't change. But when the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain, the, the, the change of the pain is going to take you to be different, then you'll finally do something about the situation you're in. Because we hurt, we then change. That's what repentance is. It's changing direction. It's going from sin to walking in godliness. So the silver lining is that the pain felt because you have failed can actually make you better because it leads you to change. You see, Peter became a much greater follower of Christ after he failed than he was before he failed. He would, have, he would never reject um, Jesus again. Scripture tells us and history tells us he never rejected Jesus ever again. In fact, he would become the most prominent 
the most outspoken leader in the church of his day. He would become the man that the Lord used to stand publicly on the day of Pentecost and openly preach about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit without any fear declaring to everybody that they had killed Jesus and that, that he had risen from the dead and that he was a follower and now his spirit was in him. Without any fear, he stands, no hiding, no denying, exactly the opposite as he was that night in the courtyard when he denied Jesus. Why? Because the pain of, 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 of failure caused him to grow and to change. Friends, the pain of failure leads to repentance, which brings healing and restoration into your life. Friends, understand, God does not want to waste your pain. Think what I just said. God does not want to waste your pain. He wants you to advance through failure's pain. He's not trying to keep you from pain. He wants to make you better because of the pain of failure. You know what? There's a verse that speaks to this that I think it's a verse that every one of us should memorize. And it says this, Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says this, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Listen to what it says there. Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You want to know where refreshing comes? Refreshing doesn't come um, from the spa. Refreshing doesn't come from the tree stand. Refreshing doesn't come from watching the Packer game. Refreshing doesn't come from a bigger bonus. He tells us a secret. Refreshing, spiritual refreshing, comes from the presence of the Lord. And so it says what we have to do. We have to repent and return. This isn't for a person who doesn't know the Lord. This is for a person who does know the Lord. We need to change direction when we fail and repent and return to where we know we're supposed to be so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see, God has times of refreshing waiting for us when failure's pain leads us to repentance. So we all fail, and that failure's painful, and that, that pain can cause us to change and to grow. And then there's one more thing that we learn here from Peter's story, and it's this, that the Lord will go to great effort to restore those who fail. We all fail, it hurts all of us, and the Lord will go to incredible great effort to restore us when we fail. You see, if you feel like you've blown it and you feel like God has written you off or you are afraid that your children or your spouse are just too far gone, you need to realize something, that God pursues people who fail. God goes after people who fail. Think about Peter. He rejected Jesus three times and Luke's Gospel says that at the moment the cock crowed the second time and Peter had then denied Jesus the third time, that Jesus and Peter locked eyes across the courtyard. He looked at each other. And I want you to understand something. Jesus wasn't looking at him with, with eyes of condemnation saying, Oh, I told you so. I guarantee you that's not the heart of Jesus because God is love. He didn't look at Peter and say, Peter, you're a failure. He looked across the courtyard with a broken heart. Not a broken heart for himself. He looked across the courtyard with a broken heart for Peter. Because he knew Peter really believed he would never deny him. He, really, he knew that Peter really believed that he would die for Christ. 
And here he finds himself in a situation that he never believed he'd be in. He's broken hearted. He's denied Jesus three times. And they lock eyes across the courtyard. And he has eyes of sadness and eyes of love and eyes of longing. And he's saying, Peter, I'm still with you. That's what he's saying to him. And after Jesus was then taken away by the crowd and they, they tried him and they found him guilty and they killed him, Peter felt so ashamed for, for rejecting him. He was, I can't imagine how bad he felt. But then came the resurrection. And then came the restoration. And you see, what do we, what do we see from the story after the empty tomb? It says at the empty tomb that it says the angel appeared to the women who came to the tomb. And remember what the angel said to the women at the tomb? It's very important how, he, how the angel said this. The angel said, Go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm going ahead of you to Galilee. The angel says to the ladies, You go find Peter. Tell the disciples. But Jesus one of the disciples, right? But Jesus knows. Peter's so low, he's probably saying, I'm not a disciple anymore. How can I possibly be a follower of Jesus? I rejected him. When he needed me the most, I rejected him the worst. I failed. And he says, to the, the angel says to the, to the ladies, Listen, you go and you find my disciples and Peter. And you tell him I'm going to meet him up ahead. You know, Jesus told that angel to specifically go and tell Peter, letting him know that God still has a plan for his life. God still loves him. And then when Jesus appeared to the disciples after the resurrection, we read it in John 21, after he's raised from the dead, he makes breakfast for him one day, and he takes Peter aside. He didn't take the other ones aside. He took Peter aside, and three different times he looks him in the eye. He says, Peter, the same look that was across the courtyard, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Jesus. But I don't think Peter really thought it. Maybe really thought, well, Jesus, you can't love me back. He says, feed my lambs. He looks at him in the eye again. He canceled out the first denial. He looks at him across the, in the eye again and he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I do. Feed my sheep. Canceled out the second denial. And then the third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, he's frustrated. And he goes, Jesus, you know. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. I think I do. I think that's what he's really saying. I really think I do. Jesus says, yes, you do. Tend my, tend my flock. He says, listen, for every time you denied me, I want, to, I want you to know three, three times you rejected me and three times I'm going to affirm to you that I love you. Jesus goes to great length to reaffirm a person who fails and then comes back to him. And listen, church, we need to understand, He does not turn His back on you. He does not turn His back on your loved ones. He pursues you. He pursues your loved ones because He wants to be in a right relationship with all of us. And so when you fail, sometimes we feel like Peter and we're, we're saying, well, God, it's all over. It's done. I don't have a chance. You know, I, ha I blew it and so I might as well give up. Understand, when you blow it, He doesn't give up on you. It's just one of those dips in the roller coaster. Before He's going to challenge you, you're going to repent and return and the time of refreshing the Lord is going to come and you're going to go up higher than you ever went before. And it's all an upward gradual ascent to walking with Jesus in maturity. So understand, failure is not fatal. Just because you fail doesn't mean it's over. He wants to turn that pain into repentance and then He wants you to understand that He's sitting and He's pursuing you. He's pursuing your kids. He doesn't give up on His people. We need, to, we need to grasp a hold of that today. You know, maybe as we close this morning, maybe you're here today and you feel a little bit like Peter. 
you've been walking with Jesus for a while. He'd walked with Jesus for years. And you know you failed, and maybe nobody else knows you failed. It's not between you and anybody else. You know you failed. And you say, you know what, deep down, there's really not much hope for me. Deep down, there's really not a whole lot that God really cares about for me, or God doesn't, how can God love me anymore? I don't know about you, but I've said those things out loud to myself between me and God before. God, you know what, how can you even care for me? Why? But you know what? He didn't give up on us. He loves us and He pursues us. And just because you fail doesn't mean it's fatal. I want you to know today that today, right now, what He wants for all of us when that happens is for us to repent and to return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's why we come to church. That's why He brings us together all the time. We come overtly into His presence so that He may refresh us from our failures. That's what He wants to do today. Would you stand with me this morning? And I want to pray. Father, only You know what's gone on in our lives. Only You know, God, the things that go on in private. Only You know, God, the the times that we've stood stood and said to you, well, God, it's probably not a whole lot uh, that you can do with me because I'm a failure. But Lord, as you know those things about us, I know this from your word, that that failure doesn't have to be fatal. That today you call us to return and repent so that times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord.